Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast where we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of July 2023, and y'all are once again in store for a solo recording. Uh, so it's once again going to be uh, me talking with myself uh, by myself. Uh, so hopefully that will be some measure of entertainment for y'all. Um, and the film we're going to be talking about today uh, is <laughs> kind of a weird one. Uh, it seems to be the kind of picks I make when it's going to be a solo recording. Um, but today I'm going to be talking about a little film, a very little film, very low budget, uh, $350,000 it looks like was the budget, uh, by the name of There's Nothing Out There uh, from the year 1991. And this was actually a trauma distributed film. I don't know if they produced it, but Lloyd Kaufman's name uh, is indeed on the opening credits of the film, uh, probably just as a distributor. Uh, anyway, this film comes to us from writer and director uh, Rolf Konevsky, uh, with his, I believe, his brother, uh, Victor Konevsky, serving as producer. Um, so you're probably wondering, first of all, what the fuck is There's Nothing Out There from the year 1991, directed by Rolf Konevsky? And number two, why are we talking about it? Or why is he talking about it? Uh, well, I'm, I think I'm going to answer this in reverse order. So I've had a whole heap of distractions and busyness uh, going on the past week or so. Uh, so if I'm being honest, my, my heart really isn't in uh, this particular review. Um, so if I'm pretty vague about talking about the film, that'd be why. Uh, but on top of that, I've just had all sorts of distractions. Uh, the girlfriend uh, is kind of sick right now, so I've been trying my best to uh, both keep my distance from her whilst taking care of her, so that kind of sucks. Uh, but on top of that, uh, I also have some big events coming up in the next month or so that I gotta get prepared for. Um, but also uh, for, you know, Th in, on the subject of things that only matter to me, uh, there's there's a pair of super high-profile boxing matches uh, happening in the next week uh, that, honestly, I'm a, my uh, uh, analytical skills are going more towards brushing up on the records of all the people uh, involved in those contests rather than learning everything there is to know frontwards and backwards about there's nothing out there from the year 1991 directed by Rolf Konevsky. Um, in case you're curious and i'm sure you absolutely are not um the boxing matches in question uh as of recording uh the first one is happening tomorrow in the middle of the day because it is happening on japanese soil uh so different time zone very different time zone from me in uh the pacific region of the united states uh it's uh naoya inoue uh from japan uh versus stephen fulton jr from philly uh big fucking deal for anybody who cares about that sort of thing i do sorry uh, i'm I, I swear I'm, I'm gonna wrap this up in just a second so bear with me um and the the second high profile boxing match arguably at least in terms of like box office numbers in terms of like ticket sales and pay-per-view buys is probably the bigger deal not i'm not sure about competitively but in terms of numbers generated uh terence crawford and errol spence jr uh, is the big one uh, that's happening, I believe, on the 29th. Uh, and I do this maybe once or twice a year, uh, but that is a pay-per-view that I probably will buy. And hey, if you're my good friend, maybe I'll even invite you over into my actual home. 
not that is a privilege <laughs> mind you uh, that is not that is not an invitation i extend lightly you got to be real special you got to be real in good with me to get in my home um i'm kind of an antisocial individual that's why i have a podcast uh where i talk to myself with myself for an hour at a time uh yeah anyway that's that's honestly where a lot of my like researching time has been going uh so i I wanted to pick a dumb movie basically something i could just watch and be like yeah it doesn't really matter if i know anything about this thing i just i can say that i watched it and that will probably be enough to satisfy the audience hopefully um anyway uh another reason well actually the reason i guess why i picked this movie is one um i've been aware of it for a very long time uh despite how minuscule it is like how minuscule the production is and how kind of not especially well known it is um there's a website that i'm going to plug that has probably not been updated in a decade um, but it is one that i frequented uh, quite regularly uh, when i was like in high school uh and maybe college but mostly like high school so really really long time ago is what i'm saying i'm about 36 years old as of the time of recording here so just bear that in mind when i say when i was in high school um it's called badmovies.org, um, and that and Stomp Tokyo, I believe, .org uh, were kind of my go-to websites uh, for bad movie reviews. Badmovies.org, obviously, it's explicitly advertised as a repository for reviews for bad, quote, bad films, um, whereas Stomp Tokyo was more uh, daikaiju cinema, so lots of Godzilla and Gamera movies and sometimes like Tokusatsu or Sunny Chiba movies and things like Toei productions from the 70s and 80s and the like. Uh, both of those websites I, I loved dearly and I spent quite a lot of time browsing the reviews from those. And in fact, um, that was where uh, I believe the source clip for the Garbage Day uh, clip from uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, I believe... I could be wrong on this, but I believe the QuickTime file, or the .mov file, uh, stored on badmovies.org was likely where that clip came from, because that is how I first became aware of that. Um, Because the the custom on all the reviews stored on that site is uh, they have an article written about it uh, with a breakdown of all the characters and a plot rundown, uh, a highlight, like bullet-pointed list of highlights, um, as well as audio clips and usually exactly one video clip. And that was the video clip exactly that they had for Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. Again, probably in the year 2002 or three or something like that. Um, so I want to say whoever, uh, who, if you could somehow backtrace where that meme started from, uh, where, the, where that clip propagated from, I would not be surprised if somebody downloaded that clip and found the correct home for it elsewhere on the internet, like a, the correct hosting platform to get the most eyeballs on it, be it like Albino Black Sheep or Newgrounds.com or whatever the fuck. Anyway, wonderful website, and it was through that site that I became aware of this film, There's Nothing Out There, from the year 1991, directed by Rolf Konefsky. Um, and just to just to spotlight it, like I actually pulled up the website. You don't have to use the Wayback Machine, but we're probably like five minutes away from having to do that to visit this website. Because, like I said, uh, this has some serious GeoCity vibes. The website design that is, um, and it does seem like something that the hosting for it might collapse any day now. Uh, so I actually pulled up the uh, the review here, and I'm going to read uh, 
I'm not going to read the entire plot rundown or anything, but uh, just to make it, things easier on myself, um, I'll say that this is a, a kind of a uh, a horror comedy of sorts. It's a it's kind of like a monster from outer space film. It's kind of like a sorority horror film. Has some like a little bit of slasher vibes to it. Uh, the filmmakers definitely have seen Evil Dead one and two uh, by the time they made this film. Um, but I'm actually going to save myself the trouble of having to remember who all these characters are by actually just reading um, directly from BadMovies.org uh, their breakdown of the characters. Um, so. Here we go. Uh, Mike, all hail, for we are not worthy. I'll explain more in a minute. No, no, we won't. Um, but point is, Mike in this film has been compared um, in recent days uh, to the character of Randy uh, from Scream, uh, from, the, from the film Scream, the Wes Craven-directed film Scream. Um, and the reason for that uh, is that both characters uh, are kind of aware of the horror movie tropes that we the audience are aware of so they're they're on the same page as we are uh, by the way jamie kennedy played randy in the scream films if you don't like if it helps to have that name to put the you know face to the character name um mike in this film serves a very very similar role albeit like amped up to to the nth degree like he he's borderline deadpooling this this performance where he's so aware of the fact that he may or may not be in a horror film um that there there's even a scene in the film where he's asked like like you don't actually think we're in a horror movie right now do you mike and he's he pauses he's like it's a distinct possibility that's the case <laughs> it's a it's a very cute moment but yeah mike um is He's mostly the reason you watch this movie, if I'm being honest. Like the the way the character is written and performed. By the way, um, the actor who plays him, and nobody in this movie is anybody you'll you'll ever see anywhere else. Really, uh, he is played by Craig Peck, and all credit to Mr. Peck. Um, he does a wonderful job with the material at hand, uh, which is not bad material, honestly. Uh, this movie did surprise me a little bit with how often it actually put a smile on my face, like legitimately, and actually did kind of make me laugh. Um, because low-budget horror movies that are this uh, loquacious or verbose uh, can sometimes be a fucking disaster, where it's just like, oh my god, shut the fuck up. You are nowhere near as clever as you, the filmmaker, think you are. Um, but in this case, it mostly it mostly comes out on the positive end of things. Like, it's not, it's not it doesn't embarrass itself in that area. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, so back to the reading. Uh, so this is not coming from me. This is coming from badmovies.org. Uh, Stacy, her skill with lopping shears and willingness to apply kung fu grip to her boyfriend, uh, Nick, uh, his testicles, really worries me. Um, those are both things that happen in this film. She uses lopping shears, uh, garden shears, uh, to uh, I fight the monster in this film. This is a monster movie. Uh, and in fact, she does... Uh, become possessed by the monster and grabs her her <laughs> her, her boyfriend's joy berries uh, real hard uh, during the the climax of the film uh, that that's like the source the primary source of tension in the finale of the film is is she going to let go of his dick and balls <laughs> um, Nick not above having a party at his parents house in the woods even if they did pay for his gymnastics lessons. Uh, I'm guessing that last bit about gymnastics lessons. Uh, 
points to a couple of uh, physical comedy gags towards the end where he does some he does like a Indiana Jones slash Tarzan routine to escape the the monster. He like swings from a like a a hanging lamp basically, uh, and they even they even ape the uh, John Williams Indiana Jones like the Raiders March theme uh, when he does that. Uh, he falls off the balcony and it's kind of funny. Uh, he gets better though. He doesn't die. Um, Jim, the big dumb and horny jock. Of course, he will be paired up with the blonde girl melts into goo uh yes he does in fact melt into goo uh they (laughs) the camera trains on that melting face for like a good solid two minutes it's kind of bizarre uh it's if you remember the uh the stop motion effects uh at the very end of sam raimi's original evil dead it feels kind of like that but stretched out to several minutes of screen time it i don't know what happened there with the edit like maybe they felt the need to like really fixate on it because it's like one of the only really legit gore effects in the movie like the movie has lots of blood and stuff but that's like one of the few instances where they actually have like a a a prosthetic appliance or something like or actually they're actually melting a fucking face with layers to it kind of uh again raiders of the lost ark style i'm i'm talking about like uh, when they open the arc and a uh, totes face melts and you get that good skull face effect and stuff it's kind of like that uh the gym character based on him uh making a certain facial expression and wearing a wife beater uh that is a tank top uh throughout a lot of his scenes i want to say that maybe this actor was going for like a robert de niro or something or other uh, I could be wrong on that, but that's the vibe I got. And he he did succeed in making me smile, uh, especially during the uh, protracted fight scene between him and the Mike character. It's this weird vaudeville routine that where it's just like a dumb guy fighting for several minutes. And it actually is, it's completely ridiculous. Um, it's very slapsticky, but it kind of works mostly because of how earnest uh, the, the dumb jock guy is during the whole thing. Um, moving on, Doreen, this girl is blonde, painfully blonde, at least in the intellectual sense of the word. Her head is guillotined off by plate glass. I'm not going to explain. It's a long story. Uh, well, I will explain for you. Uh, Doreen is supposed to be the, the quote, dumb blonde in this movie. And remember, the script of this film is very self-aware. So we are painting characters in very broad strokes, very intentionally, (laughs) So she's kind of just like absent-minded and and at her wit's end throughout the entire film. Uh, She gets possessed by the monster and uh, she tries to assault some of the other characters in the movie. Um, And then through a series of shenanigans, she kind of gets omened, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, She falls through a a plate glass window and then I think another pane on the same window collapses directly on the back of her neck. It's actually kind of a decent effect. Like, it, it's definitely done on the cheap. But hey, you get a depacketation in your horror film. So, you know, always a good thing to include. Uh, Janet, foreign exchange student. There are no bras in her country. I want to know where she hails from, and I want a ticket on the next available flight there. Brained with a baseball bat. Uh, <laughs> again, I'm reading an article right now. That None of that came directly from me. Uh, so to fill in the blanks, Janet is supposed to be Brazilian. I believe the actress actually is. She definitely has the accent. Uh, she puts some some H sounds in the place of R sounds, uh, which felt very legit to me. Um, 
And yeah, she is mostly braless throughout this film. Put a pin in that. That is definitely a huge uh, part of the production of this film. Um, and brained with a baseball bat refers to her, um, I believe, also getting... Uh, no, I don't think she gets possessed by the monster. I think she's being attacked by the monster who then possesses uh, Doreen, who then attacks someone else in the room with the bat and then misses with the bat and accidentally kills Janet. Uh, I know that sentence probably didn't make a lick of sense, but hey, it, it's a shitty low-budget film. What do you expect? Um, she gets uh, Gary Daniels, uh, if you understand the reference. Uh, Gary Daniels uh, is a, uh, I believe, British. Could be wrong on that. I believe he's a British martial artist slash actor. Did a fuck ton of direct-to-video movies. Probably still does, in fact. Uh, th- I think the last time I saw him was uh, in one of the I Am Vengeance films. Uh, could be wrong on that. Anyway, uh, you have probably seen him in something or other. Um, but when I say she got Gary daniels um, what I'm referring to is uh, his kind of spectacular death sequence uh, in the first The Expendables film. Um, basically, he's he's caught in like an arm lock with, uh, I think it's Jason Statham holding him. Yeah, I think Jason Statham is holding him and he's leaning back and then gently axe kicks him on top of the head and it bends his neck back and just cracks it. Uh, it's, it's pretty fucking sweet. Um, for as flawed as that movie is, that bit was kind of cool. I kind of wish he got to strut his stuff a little bit in that movie, like even a little bit, but he He's there. He's he's kind of a name if you're in the know when it comes to like direct video action guys. So the novelty factor of getting him getting to see him square off with Jet Li and Jason Statham is worth it, I guess. But it, you know, it would have been nice to actually have like a a real back and forth like dramatic fight sequence or something. But hey, at least he gets to die good. Um, moving on, uh, David Nerd uh, parentheses he refers to sex as intercourse in air quotes, um, with an interest in Janet. His spine gets eaten. Uh, yeah, David is a nerd, uh, although he is not the nerd, because Mike kind of, he kind of like firmly occupies that role in this film, although he's a specific kind of nerd that not every movie, especially from 1991, uh, can claim to, to have in their roster. Uh, that is, Mike is a horror movie nerd. Like, he's a cinema nerd. He's not like a, a physicist or a chemist nerd. Um, like like Revenge of the Nerd style or something. Like he's not a tech guy. He's he's not. He doesn't have any practical application for his knowledge, except for in the very specific spe- specific circumstances of this very film, uh, which is kind of fun. Like this this movie is like a little bit of wish fulfillment, I guess, uh, for people like myself and the mics of the world. It's like, you know, I don't really have any special skills. I just know a lot about movies. Like when would when would that come in handy? It's like, holy shit. Like maybe when, when I get put in a, a scenario from movies that I've seen quite a lot of and it play, and everything plays out according to plan, like according to type and tropes. Um, it's kind of cute in that way. But anyway, yeah, David is like a traditional nerd with a, I, I don't like to be mean. Oh, no, that's not true. Uh, I'll be mean. It's, I'm talking to myself with myself. I, I can I have free reign to be an asshole because um, <laughs> only I'm going to hear it. Uh, he has a shit-ass hairline. Uh, David has a tragic hairline, especially considering all these characters are supposed to be in high school. Um, 
yeah, he, he it's not a good look what what David has. Um, and yeah, he does in fact get his spine eaten. Although as grisly as that sounds, uh, the effect of it is not especially like chilling or gory or anything. It's it's very much just like a rubber prop thing gets thrown first on top of his chest and then uh, jumps him from the back, and that's kind of it. Uh, Sally. First she falls asleep at the wheel and hits a tree, then an alien attacks. Finally, when it looks like she has found help, the nervous teenagers throw her out of a moving van. Sally has probably had better days. Um, Sally is the character who bookends this movie. Um, She is featured in a kind of a bizarre prologue sequence for the film that takes place in a, uh, a video store. Um, and it's this kind of like Giallo-esque or a slasher movie-esque sequence where she's being attacked, quote, attacked, like just pursued um, by a, a POV shot. Um, and the, the little glimpses we get of the person or thing that's pursuing her as she navigate as she like crawls backwards through this video store, um, show that the person's wearing black gloves and beyond that we don't really see them anyway it's this POV this creeping POV shot that's like running up on her uh, kind of Sam Raimi style or again slasher movie style um, and we have these cuts uh, these frequent close-ups cutting to different VHS tapes in the store many of which are movies that you will recognize um, I'm not going to name any of them but I'll tell you this much I recognized a few of them Grizzly uh, the, the giant grizzly bear movie is definitely included in there. That movie's kind of boring, although a little bit more bloody than you might expect from the era. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's just included in there as maybe just like a, not necessarily a tone setter, maybe just like a, a love letter to horror and monster cinema in general on the part of the writer and director. Like just, hey, we're going to have this dream sequence slash prologue set in a video store wherein the characters and the narrative of the film temporarily are entirely based around being surrounded like immersed in in these shitty low budget movies that i and probably the audience of this film have an appreciation for or love um anyway she's in that prologue and then she wakes up and we we discover i guess that she fell asleep at the wheel um and then she gets in a car wreck um, which serves the car wreck itself, um, like her wrecked car serves as the the portent, uh, the the omen um, for our our actual cast of characters uh, pulling up to a cabin in the woods, like a literal cabin in the woods type scenario. Um, it, it's essentially like if you're going by the textbook tropes of like a slasher slash horror movie. Um, it's the guy on the side of the road who says, turn back. You don't want to be here. You don't want, you don't want none of this. <laughs> uh, it's, it's that her car wreck is essentially that in this film and the characters do draw attention to that. So the, the writer slash director, uh, is very much aware of these tropes. And that's part of the charm of the movie uh, is that in, in taking in this thing, you, you get the sense like, oh, especially in 2023, when we're so inundated with all this retro horror media getting, rediscovered via blu-ray and dvd and stuff from all these boutique labels if if you're in the collecting scene as i kind of am i guess not not from a social standpoint but i do buy a lot of blu-rays um this stuff is seemingly pretty big in in niche circles so the point is when you're watching the film it you feel a kinship with the voice of the author where it's like yeah he's he's probably seen all the same movies i have 
and then some. Um, but yeah, she's in that prologue. Uh, she gets in car wreck, and then uh, surprise, surprise, she is not in fact dead. Uh, she does show up at the end of the movie, and the gag is we've seen uh, multiple times throughout the film that people can be possessed by the monster by making eye contact with it, kind of like Medusa style, I guess, or like Gorgon style. Although instead of turning to stone, it like mind controls you via your eyeballs. Um, and they note that she has green eyes, and then on top of that, they're like worried that maybe the creature has the ability to reproduce via human females thankfully that's not something actually explored in the film it's only theorized um but because mike has been proven to be right so many times throughout the entire film the other surviving characters they just kind of like look at each other it's like you know what it would be cool to like drive this lady back to town but probably the sensible thing to do right now is just to chuck her out so the movie does and it ends on a a gag of her getting kicked out of the van like the moving van i believe and then we just like freeze frame on her watching them speed away uh to you know to save themselves um oh yeah last note here uh the creature little more than a mass of tentacles and teeth incinerated in an oven uh yes it does in fact die via kitchen oven um and yeah uh, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of a pitiful creature uh it is discovered uh, like, like it is evident early on, but it is actually like concretely discovered by the characters that this this monster is a dumbass. Like, it's kind of a stooge. Like, it's a boob. Uh, it 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 is an incompetent killer. Um, and yeah, it looks kind of frog-like, uh, at least from the front. Uh, it's a lot smaller than pictures of it suggested. Like when I saw still images of the monster years ago. I assumed it was a lot bigger, like it could fit like a human torso in its mouth. But no, it, it's like the size of your torso, like just your torso. And it's basically a, a wide face lined with lots of teeth with a pair of arms sticking out of where its ears or where its cheeks should be. Uh, and then it has kind of a long tail. Um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of it, its shape is kind of like that of a face hugger. But yeah, it's about the size of your torso, but considerably longer if you take in the tail so it's not especially big uh not super mobile uh and not especially threatening it's kind of a pitiful creature in a lot of ways but it gets the job done like it, it racks up a decent body count in the film um anyway uh side note uh before i keep talking about the movie i'd, I'd just like to point out that uh, another reason why i'm talking about this film today why i was kind of inspired to watch it is that uh, uh, very similar, I guess, uh, to my uh, my talk about the deep house, uh, the deep house, uh, not too long ago. Uh, I'm in the middle of reading a horror novel uh, called Exponential. Uh, it's written by uh, Adam Cesare. I want to say is how you pronounce the last name, or it could be Adam Caesar for all I know. But Adam Cesare, I think, and the novel is called Exponential. Uh, I'm in the middle of reading it. I'm not done with it yet, but uh, it's very, very much inspired by a lot of like horror cinema in particular, um, but more specifically the 1988 version of The Blob, um, which if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you'll probably be aware uh, is a movie that traumatized me and a movie that still makes me uncomfortable just to think about. Um, anytime... <laughs> Like, I don't know what it is about my Instagram, but I'll be scrolling through things and just that one still image of that, that, uh, that 
kid in the letterman's jacket getting offed by that blob just pops up in my feed be it on twitter or instagram basically if i'm on the internet long enough in any given day i will find a still image of the blob on some sort of feed feed excuse me uh and it'll just ruin my fucking day like that that image that scene just wrecked me the first time i saw it uh and it haunts my dreams to this day uh so so what does any smart person do well hey let's read a book that's kind of similar to that movie that really freaked you out and wrecked your shit like back in the day um so far it's a it's a good read um i do see a little bit of connection uh mostly in like kind of the nature of the creature although i haven't gotten far enough into the book to actually have a full-blown explanation as to what the thing is or what its motivations might be um but it is kind of blob-esque in that way but moreover the 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 kind of the thing that brings me to there's nothing out there again from the year 1991 directed by rolf konefsky uh is that feeling of knowing that the person who is presenting this product to you this this book this this novel um has likely shopped at the same stores as you watched the same movies as you and probably appreciates a lot of the same kinds of things as you um, and it, I don't know, there's a specific vibe that you get from, from take ingesting media of that type where it's like, you feel a kinship with the author. Um, and just, I, I had that in the back of my mind and I was thinking, well, you know, there's that, there's nothing out there movie from the year 1991 directed by Rolf Konefsky that I've heard is kind of a self-aware horror film with, with its tongue firmly planted in its cheek, uh, maybe kind of similar to the novel I'm reading right now. Like maybe it's time for me to pull the trigger on that. And just full disclosure, I may as well say, like, I, I kind of enjoyed There's Nothing Out There. Like, it, it's not a great horror film. It's barely a horror film. It's mostly a comedy. Um, but as I said about the, the, the writing earlier, um, it was very seldom embarrassing. And I was fully prepared for it to be cringy as fuck. Because comedy is a very hard thing to nail. Uh, it's maybe one of the most difficult things, honestly. Um and I was I was pretty taken aback by like how decent it was. So it's it by no means a classic. Nothing you need to run out and grab or anything like that. But there is a reason why if you pull up the Wikipedia article for this thing, they cite that like one of the most important things that needs to be stated is this came out in 1991, well before Scream, well before it became a well-established trope to to have a self-aware character within your horror slash comedy film um it wasn't especially common at the time and and the mike character really is a shining example of that kind of character if i'm being honest um so anyway that's kind of a, a explanation as to what brought me uh, to there's nothing out there uh, i will take a second and point out that uh mr konefsky uh, rolf konefsky director of there's nothing out there uh from the year 1991 uh, he is a horny fellow. Uh, I know very, very little about this man. Uh, I looked through his filmography, and uh, I noted uh, he is firmly entrenched uh, in the world of schlock cinema and uh, seemingly borderline softcore porn. Uh, that's not a, a... I'm not condemning the man. I'm just merely stating fact. Um, the man has worked as a writer on uh, David Dakota uh, productions, uh, which are most certainly typically softcore porn um and uh he does in fact have a film on his credits by the name of mood boobs 
Um, and I, I feel I need to read uh, the plot description of it because it's kind of it's kind of impressive. Like just just the fact that a movie called Mood Boobs exists uh, tickles me a little bit. Um, but not only that, the fact that it has a uh, a IMDb entry is kind of special. Uh, so I'm actually going to track that down right now for you. Uh, just one second. Mood Boobs, uh, written by Rolf Konevsky. Quote. A small-chested woman wishes she had bigger boobs, and her wish is granted. Wow, that is, that is high drama right there. Um, so yeah, uh, Mr. Konevsky does seem to have a uh, particular appreciation, if if not fixation, uh, for chesticles, for for boobers. Um, that does that is a very big part of of this film. There is a character who is uh, clad in nothing but a bikini for. About half of the runtime of the film, that would be the character of Stacy, who, by the way, has very Midwestern ma'am energy. Uh, I mean, she's a very, very attractive woman for sure. She, she's actually pretty affable performer, but there's a certain energy she gives off both with like her facial expressions and just kind of her like, I don't know, eye roll and her her stern demeanor that really. And, oh yeah, the haircut doesn't help too. It very much reminded me of like Midwestern ma'am. Like she, she would look very good in mom jeans. Just say that much. Uh, but yeah, Mr. Konevsky really does seem to be very fixated on tits. Um, I have this is the only movie of his that I think I've seen. Um, but just the fact that he he did a movie with Brooke Burke in it uh, for the E Network um, and did a film called Mood Boobs and has frequently worked with David Dakota, who, as far as I understand, mostly does gay porn films, um, not porn films, but like softcore kind of stuff. Uh, Mr. Konevsky does seem to know, like, know what he's about, and it is somewhat apparent in this film. This film does have a decent amount of nudity, and in fact, it has like a weird bit of nudity in it. Where I'll point out that the the quote painfully blonde character of Doreen, there's a extended shower sequence with her that is shot very tastefully, um, wherein we don't see any of the you know we don't see much of her it's mostly just her feet and above the neck shots and i was like okay this this actress didn't agree to be nude for this film that you know that's fine it doesn't hurt the film or anything like that it's just an observation but then like two scenes later they go back to her and we it's like full frontal like i'm pretty sure we see top to bottom and it's like well what 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 was the deal with that shower scene like like I, the the movie may have been shot linearly, but it most certainly was not edited, so it couldn't have been like the kind of situation where like, oh no, maybe that's the case. Like may, maybe at the time of filming the shower sequence, she hadn't agreed to show anything, but then like maybe later in the production she came around to it or something. I don't know. Anyway, think things that you notice when you watch low budget movies also another thing i noticed was uh this movie has a lot of songs in it and they are just like bargain bin just like walmart bargain bin whatever generic tracks uh frequently very frustrating uh to the ear um deeply unpleasant to listen to um pretty sure the shower scene had one of the more egregious examples of that um but yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about the movie itself. Uh, I already explained the monster. I do. I, I'm a big sucker for monster films because, like, one of my favorite things is um, 
discovering the physio like watching the characters discover the physiology of the thing and work out a plan for for how to deal with it like given the resources at hand and this monster is very disappointing in every way imaginable it's not especially impressive to look at um it's frequently silly um and also not only that it its logic is not especially clear-cut um it some of the things they do to deal with it just didn't quite make a whole lot of sense like it seems seems to be the case that maybe it's like attracted to light or movement or maybe it maybe it straight up just has shit eyesight or something because like during the whole sequence at the end when they're trying to get it to go into the oven to get killed uh like hansel and gretel style i guess um it gets very very close to the character's and they distract it by throwing light bulbs on the floor. So, it, and also they have like a, a flashlight beam that they're showing on the ground, um, that seem to distract it. There is like a, a silly moment where they shine the light on the wall and it starts like batting at the the light beam, um, as if it's a cat or something, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense. It did make me kind of snicker though, because there is a cat featured in the film that at one point is thrown at the monster to distract it, which is kind of cool. I was like, oh, okay. So this this filmmaker has the same relationship to cats as uh, James Gunn does. Um, if you don't get what I'm referencing there, I actually have no idea uh, what James Gunn's uh, feelings on felines are. Um, but if you've ever seen Slither... Um, which is a very good monster movie, a very good self-aware uh, comedic monster movie, but also like a legit really good and kind of creepy, like legitimately kind of creepy monster movie that doesn't get talked about nearly enough. Saw that in the theater. There's a running gag in that movie where horrible things happen to cats. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't think he could do that in 2023 without the internet jumping down his throat and like tearing his asshole out his eyeballs. Um, but yeah, that's that's a thing in Slither. I that's that's actually kind of a similar movie to uh, the the Blob from '88 for me. Uh, Slither, that is. Uh, saw it in the theater with a friend of mine uh, who I, I served as the best man uh, for his wedding. Uh, he knows who he is if he's listening. Probably not. Um, he he was always our go-to friend in our friend circle for just pointing at a movie and saying we're seeing that. And he picked fucking Slither. And uh, that movie is very, very, very funny. Um, I forget the the name of the actor who plays the mayor in that, but uh, he plays Star-Lord's dad uh, in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. I think I think he's buddies with James Gunn or something. Uh, and then, of course, Nathan Fillion, kind of in his prime, is great. Um, and uh, Michael Rooker, of course, uh, one of James Gunn's actual like really good buddies um and pretty much anybody who works on a james gunn film i noticed in listening to commentaries about his movies um he has a propensity for referring to his actors and like crew members as his friends like he very seldom refers to people by their their occupation he refers to them as my friend my friend dave batista my friend chris pratt and so on and so forth interesting fella james gunn that is um but yeah, Slither is, is very, very funny. Um, it, it very, very clever. It has a lot of things that in years since have proven to be tropes or tendencies within uh, James Gunn's filmography. I've noted that the man seems to have a deep fear of hive minds. Um, I theorize that maybe it comes from his, his rebel background, his kind of like punk rock mentality about things, like maybe conformity 
like forced conformity is like a actual deep-seated fear of his because if you note like there's a lot of plots of his movies that involve some greater thing trying to make make us into it or or take in uh, take in individuals and turn it into a hive mind or something um and slither most certainly has that um but there's a couple of scenes in that movie as fun as it is and as well made as some of the effects are and stuff as much as i appreciate that movie i have only been able to stomach it once um there's some there's a couple of choice moments in that movie that like legitimately kind of made me feel icky um and yeah i i I acknowledge it's very very good and i do have the itch every once in a while to like check it out again um but damn uh some of the some of the horror material in that is actually kind of effective which is a rarity uh, for me i don't scare easy anyway better movie <laughs> goes without saying um but yeah uh the the mike character in this uh is very very fun there's a lot of running gags in the movie that actually legitimately landed for me um i liked a lot of his just extended monologues about like about horror tropes and stuff i didn't find it grating or anything there's another thing they do where like somebody will be looking for a character and then like within the same beat the character will like flop into frame or something like just arrive uh and for some reason the timing of that and and i maintain that quite a lot of comedy is timing the timing of that worked pretty well for me uh from a production value standpoint uh seems like they they had a dolly seems like maybe they had some sort of uh steady cam-esque rig or something like that there's uh, there's a decent amount of camera movement um it definitely is a very cheap film but it never looks like ugly cheap if that makes sense um so i can compliment in that sense um and also the performances are pretty decent everybody knows who they're playing um i like that it's not overly silly like it it's still has the bones of a horror movie it's just kind of a horror movie that isn't particularly fixated on trying to scare you it's more just like an excuse to hang out with these characters while they deal with this monster um by the way the the way the monster is uh finally dispatched it it being uh thrown into an oven uh, remember this came out in 1991 uh, directed by rolf konefsky um kind of made me think of uh jurassic park actually uh, which is again two i believe that came out two years after this um i'm not saying anybody ripped anybody off <laughs> steven spielberg he he definitely ripped off rolf kineski's there's nothing out there from the year 1991 distributed by trauma films um there's a there's a beat where they're using mirrors to kind of distract the monster or lure the monster towards the oven uh and there's that bit in the kitchen sequence involving the velociraptors in uh in Jurassic Park where uh, Lex the girl character she's using a reflection off of a like a stainless steel surface in the kitchen to uh draw the raptor into charging at her and it ends up headbutting like a steel steel kitchen surface uh instead of you know getting to her uh they do kind of a similar thing except with with an actual mirror uh to get the monster's attention get to lunge uh, I thought that was kind of cute um in general, the, the film is pretty fun. Uh, I don't have a whole lot more to say about it. I'm kind of running out of steam here, uh, as evidenced by me talking about other better films like Jurassic Park and fucking Slither. 
Um, but this, you could certainly find worse wastes of your time uh, than this. Um, I don't think I saw anything uh, in my glancing over uh, Rolf Konefsky or any of the cast members of, of this film's filmographies that makes me want to pursue anything else they've done. Um, but this film, isolated, is is not half bad. So at least everybody involved can can point to this and say, hey, we did that in 1991. Um, and yeah, uh, most certainly all hail Mike, uh, because he is very much uh, a very early example of this kind of a character in this kind of a film that really kind of works. Uh, I didn't find him annoying. I found him to be legitimately kind of charming and funny. Um, and everybody else is largely playing it straight. Uh, and it, it, it just works, man. To, to quote, to quote uh, Fallout 76, it just works. <laughs> Except it doesn't. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. I don't really have much more to say, so I'll, I'll, I won't bore you with saying the same thing over and over and over again. It was good. It wasn't bad. You should probably watch it if it's free. Uh, so yeah, uh, this was my talk just just a talk uh, about There's Nothing Out There from the year 1991, uh, directed by Rolf Konefsky. Uh, and if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Twitter for as fucking long as it lasts. Uh, I think it's called X uh, as of today. Um, as of recording, that would be uh, 724-2023. I think it's called X now. Uh, you can find us wherever the fuck that is uh, at Catching Cinema. Uh, but then you can also find us, uh, hopefully for the foreseeable future, on the Instagram at Catching Up Up on Cinema. Uh, so feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much uh, every platform you can imagine. Uh, so fucking Google it. And uh, that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm sorry this was very jumbled and uh, probably not especially informative, but uh, we'll catch you next time, hopefully. <laughs>